and with snippets from the books, book of Acts that we're calling the foundation of the church. And this morning we are going to uh, look at the conversion of Saul. Uh, now Saul is of course also named as Paul. Saul is his Jewish or Hebrew name and uh, Paul was his, his Greek name. And you may know a little bit about him, but just to kind of catch us up before we get to Acts 9 where we're going to be this morning. In Acts 8, uh, verse 3, we learn this about Saul. Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and he committed them to prison. Later on in the book of Acts, as he's retelling some of his past, he says, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women. He also said, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving the authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against him. This is Saul. He's, a, he's not a very nice guy, was he? Casting his vote against believers to their death. In Galatians, Saul says, I persecuted the church of God violently, and I tried to destroy it. Let's see what happened with his attempt at destruction. We'll look at Acts 9 this morning, starting at verse 1. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. Then men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand, and they brought him to Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise, and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen a vision, a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias said, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind up all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry out my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he immediately saw something like scales falling from his eyes, and he regained his sight. And then he rose and was baptized and took food, and he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. 
And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him, but his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. They were afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him, and he brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who had spoken to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord, and he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It multiplied. Let's pray. Father, we come to you so thankful that we have your word, uh, so thankful for the gift that it is to our life, that you are able to speak into our hearts through it. And we ask, we pray, that you would speak to us this morning through your word, that we would be reminded again, um, be reminded again of our need uh, for the gospel. And be reminded again of the incredible, the awesome, the surprising grace that is found in your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, in our passage this morning, we have Saul. And what is he doing? He is still breathing threats and murder against the disciples. And he has, he has asked for letters uh, from the high priest uh, to take to the synagogues so that if any, he finds any who are part of the way, he can bring them back bound to Jerusalem. Now, the interesting thing is Damascus is like 135 miles away from Jerusalem. It's, it's a good ways away, and it's amazing when you think of uh, the way we've been talking about the growth of the church, that the church has grown all the way to Damascus, that, that some 135 miles away, there is a growth of Christianity so much so that, that Saul is upset. His, his plot, he seems to have this plot to destroy the church, right? His plot seems to become unraveled because it's moved beyond Jerusalem. Now it's all the way up in Damascus. All the way up in Damascus, there are people confessing Christ, and he wants to bring them back bound. Uh, one of the reformers, John Calvin, uh, calls Saul here a wild animal. A wild animal. And what do we know about wild animals? But they cannot really be tamed, right? You may have heard the name Tillicum before, or maybe not. Some of you have, have seen that documentary called Blackfish, um, which is about an orca, a killer whale at, at SeaWorld in, in Orlando. This particular orca, um, there, there have been four deaths of people attributed to um, orcas, killer whales in captivity. Tillicum was responsible for three of those deaths, okay? And, and the most recent of those deaths was 
um, one of his female trainers, a veteran female trainer who knew how to handle these wild animals, right? She knew what to do and no doubt was doing what all of her training had for her. And yet on that unfortunate day, she lost her life because why? Because ultimately wild animals, they cannot be tamed. And what we see here in this passage is we see a man, Saul, who cannot be tamed. There is no way for humans to to tame Saul. He's on the move. He's ready to bring back Christians bound to Jerusalem. He wants for them, he wants them to have the same fate that Stephen had, ultimately. He wants to cast his vote against them as well. But as he's on this road, he's on this road, he's on this path to go grab these Christians and bring them back. And as he's on that road, a bright light, verse um, 3, a brighter light shines, brighter than the sun, shines down and around him. In verse 4, what do we see? Falling to the ground, falling to the ground, he hears a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul. Now, that right in and of itself is pretty amazing that we hear this repetition of his, his name twice. We don't see it all over Scripture, but when we do, it usually means something. Um, Abraham, uh, whenever he was called to go sacrifice Isaac, we hear Abraham, Abraham. Often that double name is used when God's addressing people as a, there's a, something big that's about to happen. There's a big calling that he's asking of this person. He says, Jacob, Jacob, Moses, Moses, Samuel, Samuel. And so we shouldn't be surprised that there is a big calling that is taking a place upon Saul. He says, again, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me. That's very interesting in and of itself, isn't it? Because who is it that Saul's persecuting? Who is it that he's going after? He's going after Christians. He's not going after Jesus directly. But it's good news for us because Jesus so identifies with his people. He is so connected with believers through our union with Christ that their persecution he sees as his persecution. And so he was on this road thinking, you know, he he thought he was going to defend his faith. He was going to Damascus to defend his God. But of course, that is completely undone as Jesus himself stands before him. And as Jesus stands before him, this bright light speaking down from heaven to him, you would expect a moment of judgment for him, wouldn't you? That's what we would expect. That's what we would think. But he's actually rescued from it. But this great enemy, Saul, at this moment in Damascus, he is defeated. The enemy is defeated because we do know the greatest defeat of an enemy. What is it? It's not their destruction, but it's for the enemy to become a friend. And that's precisely what happens to Saul on this road to Damascus. And so Saul says, verse 5, Who are you, Lord? Who are you? Now, some commentators, some want to say that he's really just saying something like, Who are you, sir? And I kind of get where they're they're coming at, but I think there's much more going on here, right? Remember, he is 
He's been in the presence now of the glorified and risen Jesus. Okay, the light has shined down upon him. He's heard the voice of the Lord. Now, I don't think Saul at this moment, he doesn't understand everything, okay? But he understands something incredible has happened. Something incredible has changed. All that he has believed has come undone. You see, for Saul, his God, his God could only be worshipped at the temple, right? His God, there's no way that he would take on or could take on human form. For him, one's acceptance was found how? By being a Pharisee of Pharisees. By being righteous under the law. And here on that road to Damascus, it's all undone. Saul is completely undone. So he's left. He's, he has this existential crisis moment where he says, Who are you, Lord? He's saying, My whole world has been shattered. Everything that I believed is, has come untrue. His question might be better phrased something like, Who are you? Uh, who, who, who are you? I, I thought I knew you. Please tell me who you are. And that's what's beginning to happen. He's, he's coming to know the true God. And that's why the very next thing that, that Saul says, it's not in our passage here, but it's in chapter 22. Um, whenever Saul is again telling about this conversion, he says this in verse 10 of 22. And, he sa- and I said, what shall I do, Lord? That's his response That's his response whenever Jesus says, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. He says, what shall I do, Lord? His life has changed. He's been undone. And so he, he, verse 8, he rises from the ground. And for three days he's without sight, neither ate nor drank. This Saul who was on his way to bind up Christians, going with like incredible strength, you know? He thought he, you know, nothing could defeat him. He's totally humbled. They have to lead him, verse 8, they, they have to lead him by the hand, right? He's become completely helpless. But he needed to be made weak so that he could be strong, Skipping on a bit in verse 22, it says this, But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. He needed to be humbled. He needed to be totally convicted, totally seeing himself for who he was, totally understanding the gospel, understanding his sin, understanding how, you know, all the Christians knew how bad Saul was, right? Saul needed to come to an understanding of who he was. And after that road to Damascus, he did. He came to know who he was, and so he confounded everybody. They they couldn't understand what was going on with this Saul. The, the, The zealot had been humbled. He'd been humbled because he knew the gospel. He knew who he once was. The one who had been breathing threats and murders against the disciple disciples was now proving that Jesus was the Christ. And he began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogue, saying, he is the Son of God. This is incredible, isn't it? I don't know if many of, some of you, 
all of you, many of you, may remember the name of Jeffrey Dahmer. Don't worry, I'm not going to get into the details, okay? But a surprising thing happened with him. He was a murderer in the 90s and did some bad things, right? Some very bad things. And later on, we find out that he became a believer, that he confessed faith in Christ. And for many of you, even now, as I even share that, if you hadn't already heard that before, it's kind of a, hmm, I'm not quite so sure what I even think of that or what I even, how I even make of that. It, it wasn't it just some jailhouse confession, probably. I remember in seminary, one of my professors, Steve Brown, he told us a story about Dahmer in that he had gotten a phone call from the guy who led um, Dahmer to Christ. Um, this was after he was murdered in his cell uh, by another inmate. And the guy wanted to call and just let him know that he had been reading one of Steve's books when he was killed, a book about grace. And Steve Brown, being a very honest type guy he is, was immediately, I don't like this at all. <laughs> you know, I don't like to be connected with him. I don't know what I even think about this. I don't know, you know, just being very honest, I don't even know if I really wanted him to become a believer. Um, how do you really think about things such as this? Are there some people that are just far, far too gone? The person who led him to Christ um, said, one of the questions that he asked him early on was, is heaven for me too? Is heaven for me too? You know, it's hard for us sometimes to believe that somebody could change that radically, Right? But isn't it that kind of radical change that's right here in Acts chapter 9? As the wild animal is tamed, tamed by the only one who could tame him, tamed by Jesus himself through the power and the work of the Holy Spirit? Is there really that much difference? Is there really any difference? So, Saul, in our passage, it's, it's incredible this one who is a wild animal, is given a totally new relationship with God. He's made new. The one who is a murderer, the one who is going in hopes that more might be murdered, is turned around. The enemy is made into a friend. His relationship with God is radically changed. But as we move on this passage, that, that would be incredible enough. That would be surprising enough for us, Right? If this was all of the changed relationship with God, but he also has a changed relationship with the church. We saw a little bit earlier what happened with Ananias, right? In verse 11, Ananias um, is told, look, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. Now, Ananias is one of those believers in Damascus, right? He's one of those believers that Saul was coming after. He's one of the ones that would have gotten dragged back, bound. And God's going to him, he's saying, so, Ananias, I want you to go to Saul. I want you to heal him. Ananias says, what? You've got to be kidding me. Okay? Verse 13. Lord, I've heard from many about this man. How much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. 
And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind up all who call on your name. How can I do this? He was coming to bind me. And how does God respond in verse 15? He says, he is my chosen instrument. Out of all, out of all creation, out of all the possibilities, God chooses Saul. One that we would think of as the worst of the worst, right? The one that we would think that there is no hope for. That if we were on the other side of it in that day, it would be hard for any of us to hope even for his salvation, maybe. That we would struggle with that internally, if we're honest. So Ananias is terrified at this thought of going to Saul. But Saul must have also been terrified, if you think about it. He has been taken apart in the persecution of Christians. Now he's become a believer. He, he must know that he's going to be an outcast. The Jewish people, they'll never accept him back, right? He's no longer one of them. He's the, the ones that they've been fighting, right? And there's no way that Christians will ever accept him after what he's done, after he's cast the vote for many of their deaths. How could they ever accept or embrace him? It's, it's amazing. He's too bad. He must be thinking that he's too bad to, to ever be accepted, but he has a vision. He's given a vision in verse 12. He has seen, Ananias is told about this, he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming to him and laying his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. And Saul must have been thinking, could this really be true? Could this really be true? Would any believer of the way, would any believer of the church really reach out to him with compassion? Verse 17, so Ananias departed and he entered the house and laying his hands upon him, he said, he said, brother, Saul, brother Saul, the one who would have been dragged back bound, goes to Saul and he says, brother Saul. Those are incredible words. I hope you understand. Those are moving words. They, they should, it should move our hearts a little bit. It's okay for our hearts to be a little moved. One commentator, John Stotty, puts it this way. He says, I never fail to be moved by these words. They may well have been the first words which Saul heard from Christian lips after his conversion. And they were words of fraternal welcome. They must have been music to his ears. What? Was the arch enemy of the church to be welcomed as a brother? Was the dreaded fanatic to be received as a member of of the family. Yes. Yes, it was so. Yes, it was so. Do you understand that incredible moment where Ananias says, Brother Saul welcomes him into the family of God, embraces him as part of the church. The enemy has turned into a friend. The incredible love is shown to the one who had persecuted, and it doesn't end there, right? Towards the end of our passage... We see Saul going down to Jerusalem, right? In verse 26. We see him going down to Jerusalem, but all the disciples, they, they, they were afraid. They were afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. How could it be so, right? There's no way this can't be true. But then verse 27, 
Barnabas. Um, Barnabas took him, and he brought him to the apostles. <laughs> Imagine that conversation between Barnabas and Saul. Um, so I'll tell them that you're okay. I'll tell them that you know Jesus now. And so he goes, and he tells the disciples, Saul, he came to Jesus on that road to Damascus. The scales have literally come off his eyes. And so he becomes one of them and begins preaching there in Jerusalem. But to let us know that they were really serious about accepting him in, there came a time where they were, people were seeking to kill Saul in Jerusalem, right? And what happens? But we read that the brothers, verse 30, when the brothers learned this, when the brothers learned this, what, what do they do? They help him escape the ones that he was once persecuting. The ones who were even scared of him whenever he came to Jerusalem and weren't even quite sure of him. They come to embrace him as a brother in Christ. And they help him escape. His relationship with the church had changed in a radical, radical way. Do you, do, do you think that there are any who are too unlovely for the church to embrace? Are there any that if they were to walk in the doors, you would struggle with it? What does that say about our hearts? Now, we need to know, Ananias struggled with it, right? So let, let's understand. People, in a sense, we need to know. I mean, Ananias struggled with it. The disciples, the apostles, they struggled with it, right? Their, their initial inclination wasn't like, oh, just throwing their arms around them, but they were quickly persuaded. They were quickly persuaded and embraced him just as you and I are called to do as lost ones are found, as we sang a few minutes ago. So Saul's relationship with God was radically changed, wasn't it? His relationship with the church, with the brother, his brothers and sisters in Christ, radically changed. The, those who you would think would have rejected him ended up accepting him with open arms. But that's not all. Saul's relationship with the world also changed. Verse 20, And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priest? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. What is the first thing that he does? Verse 20, what was the first thing that he does? He proclaims Jesus. That was his natural inclination. As soon as he came through that conversion process, as soon as the scales are taken off his eyes, as soon as he has come to grasp with the depths of the gospel, he immediately proclaims Jesus. His relationship with the world has changed. He must share the good news of Jesus Christ with the world. He understands how radical his salvation is. He understands the depths from which he was saved, and he can't but help 
to share it with others. As we learn in Acts 9, verse 15, as the Lord's talking to Ananias, he says this about Saul, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. He is the chosen instrument, the chosen instrument that's going to take the gospel where? To the Gentiles. As we see him do on his, his many missionary journeys, right? As he takes the gospel to those who have no knowledge of, of Yahweh. And he takes the gospel to them. He takes the gospel even to kings. We see him sharing the gospel with people like King Agrippa. And he takes the gospel to the children of Israel as he's on those missionary journeys. Where is his first stop when he comes in every town and every city? But at the synagogue to first share the gospel with the children of Israel. You see, Paul, on that road, on that road, he said, who are you, Lord? And he found out who he was. He found out who Jesus really was. And he couldn't help. He couldn't help but tell others because the enemy had been turned into a friend. The one who persecuted was now beginning to suffer persecution for sharing the good news that he once suppressed. As we try to pull all this in and think about it ourselves, do you, do you truly understand the surprising grace of the gospel that transforms us? Do you really understand how radical it is? Do you really or do you kind of put limits on the gospel? Now, in our heads, most of us know you can't put limits on it. Of course, God can save whoever he's going to save, and we know that intellectually, I guess. But does that really make its way to your heart? Or do you, if we're really honest, think that maybe there are some who are outside, outside of the power of Jesus to save? How do you live? How does it really play out in your life? Do you, at the end of the day, think that there are some outside of the power of Jesus, outside of the grace of God? You see... And maybe, let's also be maybe even more honest, that some in this room, some of us at times, maybe all of us, have and will at times struggle with, is this grace really for me too? Could I really be forgiven like this? Could it really be true that I've been washed clean? That my sins have, have really been paid for? That I've really been given Christ's righteousness. Could it really, really be true? And what we need to understand this morning, and as we see in this passage in Acts 9, that the surprising grace of the gospel, it does not have any limits. Okay? It has no limits. And as you think about Saul's incredible conversion, um, don't think for a moment that somehow his conversion is grander or bigger than yours. 
I know we're tempted to. Tempted to think somehow his is, is more incredible. But do remember those words that we sang just a few moments ago that we were lost. We've been found. Okay? We need to understand that you were just as lost as Saul. Okay? There is no, no such thing. Be, how about this? Be, being more lost is not a thing. Okay? You, you can't be more lost. You're lost or not. And we were all lost in our sin. And he set his surprising, incredible, and amazing grace upon us, saving us. And if you believe that this has really taken place, that you believe that this incredible miracle has taken place and, and, and this conversion, your conversion is just as incredible as one that you point out as a more wicked sinner, which there isn't, that's not really such a thing either. If, if we really believe this, if we really believe that this incredible grace is for us, we have a new relationship with God, right? We've been given so much in Him. We're united to Christ, so much so that our suffering is His suffering. That's how united we are to Him. We have a new relationship with the brothers, with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and we should be welcoming new ones in with open arms and not thinking anyone is outside of the qualifications to potentially come in or somebody is too far gone. Let's not think that for a moment. And we should have a new relationship with the world. We should, too, should under, really understand because if we truly understand what Jesus has done for us, we must share it, just as Saul did. As Saul couldn't help but, but begin to go out and begin to preach about Jesus, he could not be stopped. He couldn't stop but beginning to share it with all. We should not be able to help but share it with all, with all those that we, we find in our sphere of relationships, with all those that we find around us. Do those, do those around you, do those in your sphere of relationships, do they know the incredible hope that you have in Jesus? Do they? Do they really? Do they understand that standing before them is one of the greatest miracles of all, that one who was lost has been found? Do they? Do they know that? Do they know how incredible it is that a sinner like you, that a sinner like me, was lost and has been found? That a sinner like you, like me, could be called righteous? Do you know the surprising grace of the gospel? Do you know the power of the gospel to truly transform others, even the most unlikely others, and the power of the gospel to continue to transform you and I? Do you? Let's pray.
Father, we, um, we are reminded again of how, of how amazing your grace is, how it never ceases to surprise us. how you save the most unlikely of whom we can all count ourselves a part of. And we are so thankful to you. Thankful for that incredible and amazing grace that while we were yet sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. Oh, we thank you for the good news of the gospel. We thank you that it transforms our relationship with you and with each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. But help us also not to forget that it transforms our relationship with the world as we are now your ambassadors to share the good news of Jesus to the very ends of the earth. Help us to share to share the hope that we have within us, that hope that is founded in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Go with us now as we go into this week, reminding us not just of the incredible thing that you did in Saul, but the incredible thing that you have done in each one of us. And we pray this. In the matchless name of Jesus, amen.